0: Um, scripture reading for today is Mark chapter 14, verse 3 through 9. Okay, um, it says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of, an, of ointment, a pure very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you and whenever you want. You can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has said what she could, and she has anointed my body beforehand. For burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Amen. All right,
1: hallelujah. right, hallelujah. hallelujah. Okay. John, let me get a different program. John Westfall. Countdown, baby. All right, next time. Thank you, sir. All right. Um, today, you have a um, promise from me that I will preach my sermon within 36 minutes. All right. Are you ready for this? <coughs> Our God is a God of miracles. Amen. Now, um, in December of last year, uh, there's a prophetic lady named Vicki Porterfield. She came to our church, and uh, as I was meeting with her, she gave me a prophetic word about developing the core. And she said uh, that God is uh, laying the foundations of our church at this hour And he's been building up that foundation, and God's been purposely keeping us small for a reason. Because he's going to grow the ministry, but if it happens too soon, things will get watered down. You will lose your values, your vision, and your distinctives. You might have success, but no identity. So she encouraged me, develop the core. She said, once you have the core group of leaders solidified, things will explode. Many doors will open for ministry. People will come. Invitations will go out. Somehow people will tell each other and the church will be packed. It will be easy. It will explode, but we can't handle it yet. So she told me to develop the core. If you don't, the enemy will attack in a huge way. You have to do it. There's no choice. Do your leadership retreats. Have the uh, leaders build strong relationships with each other. Have them confess their sins to each other and be vulnerable before one another. Make the leadership core strong. Amen? So that's kind of like what we've been doing lately with the leadership training camp. She also said, (coughs) people's going to end up coming to your church and saying, we need to get with what's happening here because these people aren't going to change. All right, so people, she said, people are going to adjust to what we got here in this church once the momentum begins. And she also told me about non-negotiables. She says, God's called New Philly to be a very fluid group, but you need to have certain core values that remain unchanged and she called them non-negotiables whether big or small wherever you go in the world these non-negotiables will not change and it's what gives you your identity year to year your goals may change but your vision and mission won't and that was the gist of the prophecy that she gave me now since then i have really tried to prioritize my time so that i minister first to the leadership here all right if i go around trying to Counsel everybody with the loudest voice, I'm not going to be using my time most effectively and strategically. Alright, so I've uh, I've lost the guilt of not of saying no, you know, I can't say yes to everyone. Alright. And I focus my time upon the leadership. I also put together a group of nine core leaders. <coughs> they consist of the interim pastors, Miawa, Marcus, John, uh, along with Mina or Admin. And uh, Pastor John Michael, um, Aaron, my wife, and Caleb somehow got up in that piece. All right, so that's... And Anita, I'm sorry, our apostolic leader, Anita, our Anita Jew. All right, she's so close to me sometimes. I, I, don't, I don't see her because she's so close to me. All right, but... <coughs> I got I to gotta cut the jokes. I, I got to move quick. <coughs> So I, I, I put together these nine core leaders. What is this? Boricha? I can't drink this. This is going to make my throat worse. All right. Um, but just water, please. Somebody get me water real quick. Um, and so these nine core leaders, I start to really focus on discipling them and getting feedback from them. And a couple of months ago in June, these nine core leaders, we met and we tried to answer the question, what are the core values of New Philadelphia Church? And after some discussion... We came up with nine core values that we feel are important to our church. Values that accurately define who we are and values that reflect our desires and our direction. So although our goals and programs may change from year to year, we believe that these values will not. So no matter how much the church grows, these are the values that will shape New Philly and will give us our identity for years to come. Are you ready to hear these nine core values? Now, over these next few months, I'm actually going to preach a sermon on each of these nine core values. It's going to take me until the end of the year to finish it. Um, And I'm going to go over the nine real quick. The nine core values are be extravagant in worship. Freedom is for everyone. Father the fatherless. Be faithful in small things. The anointing flows from the top down. Roll with the punches. Supernatural is natural. (laughs) Contend for the kingdom and dream big. Those are nine core values that we chose for our church. And we believe they they accurately define who we are and also the direction and desires that we have. So today I'll begin with the first core value. Be extravagant in worship. Say that. Be extravagant in worship. Now you'll notice that when you join us for a Sunday service, especially here at Hillside... Our worship times are passionate. They are hot to go all. All right. It's common to see people clapping, lifting their hands, praying, shouting, dancing, and just plain old singing their hearts out. That's because we love being extravagant in worship. You know, for some people... The worship here is so different from what they've known that it actually makes them feel uncomfortable. They look around and they see people with a smile on their face and they think, why are these people so happy? <laughs> they, sing, they see people singing a spontaneous new song to the Lord and they think, this is awkward. Where are those lyrics? Give me lyrics now! Now! Right, and the whole time we're singing for like three, four, five minutes, a new song to the Lord. It's not uncommon for a lot of newcomers that come through our church to experience this. Some people don't mind; they actually secretly like it, and they keep coming back. <laughs> and other other people, you know, they they choose to move on because that's not the, that's not their style, supposedly. But let me submit this to you. I believe that. This is the way worship should be. Amen? Amen. Worship should be passionate. Worship should be extravagant. Worship is supposed to be full of joy. The Bible says also, sing to the Lord a new song. When people break out with a new song and nobody knows what that new song is, but everybody's singing their own new song, it's a beautiful thing in the sight of the Lord. The Bible also commands us, cry out, clap, lift your hands. Shout, dance, sing to the Lord. These are all commands in the Bible. This is the kind of worship that God is seeking. Extravagant, expressive worship. Now Jesus said God is seeking true worshipers. Worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. God is not looking for people that just go through the motions of worship. Alright, God is seeking worshipers that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Worshipers who are communing with the Lord, spirit to spirit. Not those who are just constantly thinking, analyzing, and being introvert during worship. Now there's a time to meditate and be, be silent before the Lord. But if that is the standard and that's what you gravitate toward, I'm sorry. That is not the kind of atmosphere we want to set where everybody in here is happy and singing to the Lord, but nobody knows it because everyone's just being introvert. All right. There is a time and a place for that. But I believe worship should be extravagant. Worship ought to be expressive. When you worship, (coughs) here's another reason why you should never be introvert when you worship. You know why? Because when you worship, you got to behold the object of your worship. And if you're being introvert and you're just looking inward and not toward heaven, you're going to miss out on what you're supposed to be worshiping. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, don't let your mind take your spirit hostage. So many people in the Western Christian church, they're so good at this. And they think they're doing God a a service. They think that this is the way they're supposed to worship. And this is a lie of the enemy. When we worship the Lord, we must allow our spirit to be free to adore and magnify. And then we got to expect our mind, heart, and will to follow. That's why the Bible, the psalmist, commands his soul to praise the Lord. You know, your soul is made up of your heart, mind, and will. And the Bible says in Psalm 103, 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That is a command. Hey, soul, pay attention here. I know you don't feel like it today. I know you don't feel like worshiping right now. But y'all ain't in charge. All right? My spirit says yes, and I'm commanding you to bless the Lord because he is worthy. Hallelujah. At all times. That's what it means to command your soul to praise the Lord. This is the way that it's done. Tell your neighbor, you need to learn how to get your soul in check. (laughs) Now, when you look at some churches, their worship value seems to be be quiet in worship, be apathetic in worship be emotionless in worship be introvert in worship those are the, that's what seems to be the value system in some of the worship that goes on in our churches at new philly we believe that when God's people to gather together for worship we ought to be extravagant because he is worthy and this is our first core value <laughs> now how can we corporately and individually cultivate an environment of extravagant worship. Now, I want you to keep in mind these six points. Number one, lose yourself. <laughs> now, if you want to be extravagant in worship, you got to lose yourself. you got to stop caring about what other people think. Yeah. You know, when you come to worship, you're not singing for them. You're singing for Him, hallelujah. He is your audience. So sing unto the Lord. Clap your hands. Lift them high. Shout to the Lord. Dance in His presence. Everyone's eyes are not on you. They're on the PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, y'all need, we need to all stop being so self-conscious. People are not looking at your every move. But there is someone who does, and that's God. Who are you giving all your attention to during worship? And you know, if, if, you're, if your neighbors or people behind you, they're looking at you, man, let them look. Let them look. <coughs> Don't be deceived. They're the ones that should be feeling out of place, not you. If you want to see an example of a worshiper who knew how to lose himself, just look at David. When he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, David was dancing, leaping, shouting. He danced with so much zeal that his clothes started to fall off. Now, when his wife, one of his wives, Michal, criticized him. And and called him vulgar for disrobing in front of the slave girls. In response, this is what David said. David said, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. David was a worshiper who knew how to lose himself. He said, you think, you think that was ridiculous, man? You ain't seen nothing yet, girl? For the Lord, I will become even more undignified than this. We need to catch some of that. Tell your neighbor, you need to get over yourself. <laughs> get over yourself. Yeah. And some people, when we do this, tell your neighbor thing, they, they, they don't move. Tell your neighbor, get over yourself. <laughs> yeah, you, that's you. You need to get over yourself. <laughs> Be expressive. Be expressive. In Mark chapter 14, the passage we read, uh, we had Eunice read earlier. This woman with the alabaster jar, she comes... She breaks it and she pours it over Jesus' head. And some people start to say to themselves, why was this ointment wasted like this? It could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus said right away, leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Hallelujah. You see, what this woman did... Had no pragmatic sense. It was an act of worship. And it was an extravagant act of worship. And when she did it, guess what people did? Guess what? This is all the, this is the demonic voices speaking up. People started to criticize her. They, and they said the right thing. Because money could have been given to the poor. They said the right thing. But it was speaking, spoken from the wrong spirit. And they started to criticize her, despise her, calling what she did a waste But guess guess what Jesus called it? Beautiful. (laughs) When you lose yourself and worship the Lord extravagantly, people may criticize and despise you, but don't pay any attention to that. Because Jesus calls every act of extravagant worship beautiful. Number two, be happy. This means during worship, don't be so serious. Rejoice. Put a smile on your face. Look like you are enjoying his presence. You know, I think we see more smiles on a roller coaster ride than we do in a typical church Sunday service. Why is it that it's okay for to be expressive on a roller coaster or at a football game when you can't be expressive in church? You know, our brother Danny, he gave a message at Friday Fire where he mentioned a UCLA study that showed that effective communication consists of 7% words, 38% tone, pitch, volume, emphasis, and 55% body language. How's my body language? Thank you. Thank you, Peter. (coughs) Now, if body language is that important in communicating with each other, why wouldn't body language be important in worshiping our God? I know God sees our hearts, but look, he sees your face too. So if you got it in your heart, why not show it on your face? As the old song goes, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, put a smile on your face. Do what you got to do, but show it unto the Lord. Be happy. You know, and I know that when we were children growing up in our churches, we weren't allowed to talk. We weren't allowed to chuckle or smile or move during worship. If we did, somebody would scold us for not reverencing, reverencing the presence of God. And I remember I used to I used to be that man. When when I used to um, in college I used to serve at a youth group. You know, these kids, man, they, they you know, they had the earrings, they you know, they'd be all looking all tough with their spiky hair. <coughs> and they'd be all like Shh, and like talking to each other and I'd be like, "Hey. Shh. Hey, where are you going? Sit down. No bathroom. Hey, hey, we're about to start service." You know, and I used to I used to be that guy. I remember. I remember. And, you know, uh, (coughs) check this out. Don't let that bitter man who was filled with the Pharisee spirit continue to oppress your expressions of worship. Now, all right, I've been delivered from that. All right. (coughs) But whoever that man that used to scold you when you were a kid. All right. Don't let that man continue to oppress you. Alright, I give you permission to laugh. I give you permission to express your joy in worship. Tell your neighbor it's okay to be happy in here. You know, when you listen to Kim Walker lead worship. You you notice she chuckles a lot. <coughs> Jesus, you are mine. <laughs> like she does this chuckling, chuckling thing. And the thing is, if you chuckle like Kim Walker back in the day, in the middle of a hymn, you will be labeled crazy. Our people, you know... How great thou art. <laughs> How great thou I'd be like, get that girl off the stage. All right. <coughs> but you see, that was then, this is now. There's a new norm and standard that God is setting on the earth. Because God's doing a new thing. And as the Spirit has been poured out more and more on the earth, God is bringing greater and greater freedom for worship. Because the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And where there is freedom, there is freedom to express yourself. That was then. This is now. Hallelujah. The Word of God says, in His presence there is fullness of joy. So we... (laughs) It's there. I mean... Everybody who is sensitive, you can sense the joy is there, but we're afraid to show it. That's not right. In His presence, there is fullness of joy. So be happy. Put a smile on your face. You can laugh out loud. Don't just type it on Facebook, do it here in worship. You can chuckle. It's okay. God is a joyful God, Amen? Amen. And if God is joyful, and we are His people, we ought to look like we are encountering a joyful God, Amen. Amen. Let God tickle you. you. know, that's what that's what I kind. Of, I think that's what the holy laughter phenomenon is all about. It's God tickling His people because they take themselves too seriously? And God is like, man, we need to put an end to this. Let me tickle the most austere and most serious guy in the room and when he tickles them and they start bringing out holy laughter everybody starts to laugh because when the most serious guy in the room starts to laugh it gives the permission for everybody in the room to laugh and I, I believe that's what kind of holy laughter is all about and you know once you get a taste of that joy God doesn't want you to wait until the next holy laughter experience to express it what he does sovereignly he wants you to take it and do it out of your own will once you get a glimpse Of heaven's joy. But and sisters, choose to express and release it on the earth. Number three, (coughs) memorize the word. If you want to be extravagant in worship, you got to get the word of God in you. You know, sometimes during worship here at New Philly, Pastor John will kind of step back from the mic, and he'll just lead people in a time of spontaneous worship. And it's during this time that people are tempted to sit down, go to the bathroom, Check their cell phone. Why? Because it's awkward. For people who've never experienced this, it's very, very awkward. Well, let me give you some practical advice. The next time that Pastor John starts to lead a spontaneous time of worship, I want you to have the Psalms, have Revelation chapter 4 or 5 memorized, have like passages of Scripture memorized, and during that spontaneous worship time, just sing, shout, just, just say it out loud to the Lord. I assure you, if you do that, you will enter into a level of worship that you've never experienced before. There is something about just reciting the word of God back to God. It just feels so good. (coughs) You don't have to write your own poetry. God is a big fan of his own work. You, you can reserve what you've written for your future wife, whatever. <laughs> but give to God the best, hallelujah. <laughs> give to God His poetry. Anyway, and sometimes, you know, we learn a new song from Chris Tomlin or Hillsong or Jesus Culture, and we're like, wow, this song is amazing. These people, these people who write these songs, they are a genius. Well, let me, let, me in, let me bring you into a little secret. of the time, those song lyrics are taken straight out of the Bible. Do you know that? You give and take away, you give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord bless it. Oh man, that's a good song, man. These lyrics, man, who wrote these lyrics? They're so good. Look, they're from Joel chapter 1, verse 21. <laughs> all these songs. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. A oh, real original, okay? <laughs> Revelation chapter 4 and 5, all right? Just look there. It's all there. <clears throat> they're plagiarizing the Bible. No, this is just wisdom. You memorize the word, you use the word in songs. Man, it's a beautiful thing to the Lord. That's how you worship God extravagantly. You just use the word back to God. (coughs) It's just something powerful and prophetic about praying and singing the scriptures back to God. And I just want to invite you into this experience. Don't just sit there and just look all awkward and check your cell phone. And you'll notice when Pastor John, he starts to lead this time. Hey, one of his favorite memory verses to recite is Ephesians chapter one, verse seventeen to nineteen. You know, he'll step back. All right. Let us ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Yes. <laughs> He's always using Ephesians chapter one. And that's that's just his favorite. He likes that chapter. (laughs) It's a good chapter. It's a good chapter. Some people say, some people say Ephesians chapter 1 was actually, it it gives us a timeline. It goes before Genesis chapter 1. Right? Because by revelation, Paul gets this amazing. Anyway. That's the John. We love that. We love it. Number four. (laughs) Pursue holiness. Jesus said that the Father is seeking true worshipers that worship in spirit and in truth. You know, worship the, worshiping the Lord in truth involves living a life where you pursue holiness. You see, if you are worshiping your heart out on Sundays, but you live a godless life during the rest of the week, you are not worshiping in truth. 1 John two four says, The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him you want to worship god in truth you got to pursue holiness practically if you're not pursuing a life of holiness you have a hard time being extravagant in worship you know why because every time you come into his presence you're going to be loaded down with guilt with shame with condemnation and it's just impossible to be extravagant in worship when you're carrying that stuff around And if you're refusing to give up your selfish and sinful ways and you continue to identify with your old sinful nature. When you try to be extravagant in worship, you're going to feel like a hypocrite. You're going to feel like a hypocrite because you know what? That's not who you are, but that's how you're going to feel. You know, for people in here that feel that way because you know you're not living a a holy life. Look, I'm I'm here to tell you that's not who you are. You may feel like a hypocrite. That's not who you are. And if you will get your life right before the Lord, you will come out of that deception and you will stop identifying with that hypocrisy. Because that's not who you are. You know, this whole worship extravagantly thing, it only works for those who are pursuing holiness. And when you pursue holiness, do me a favor. Aim for 100%. This goes for myself, it goes for everybody in here. Look, if I gave you a bottle of water and and, and I told you it's 99% spring water and 1% sewage water, who in their right mind in here would drink it? If you were thirsty? God bless you, brother. (coughs) It's sewage! It's only 1%. It's sewage! You put just a little dab of sewage water in clean water, it becomes sewage water. And that's what it's like when we bring to God a good enough holiness. When we get so jaded by our failures and weakness, and a lot of times we get deceived into believing this is going to be good enough. This is good enough. Hey man, you you can't, it doesn't get better than this. You're never going to overcome this addiction. You're never going to get victorious over this sin. This is good enough. And you start to think, okay, all right, I got to just learn to live with this. And we start to live with our secret, pet, secret sins like they're our pets. Brothers and sisters, aim for 100% holiness. And I don't care how many times you fail, never give up in this pursuit. Never take your eyes off of this aim. Don't keep those secret pets around. You're gonna just keep, you're gonna step in a lot of crap, and in the long run, they're just gonna harm you and your family. All right, get rid of it all. Pursuing holiness, look, it's not about performance. God is not keeping a record of our wrongs, the cross has taken care of that. Pursuing holiness is a matter of our hearts. What are we aiming for? What resources are we tapping into to live a life of holiness? Are we getting help from accountability partners? When we fall, are we confessing our sins and getting right back up? All right. Pursuing holiness is a matter of the heart. And when we keep our heart in the right place, our behavior and thought patterns will follow. They will be renewed and you will come into greater and increasing sanctification. Number five, give generously. (coughs) An aspect of extravagant worship that must not be overlooked is in the area of financial giving. And I must say that our church, New Philly, when we give, we give generously. And I'm so proud of y'all. It is just such an amazing aspect of worship at our church. You know, the woman with the alabaster jar, let me give you a little bit of technical information. The ointment that she broke, the Bible says, was approximately worth 300 denarii. 300 denarii. One denarius was worth an entire day's wage for a laborer. So if you add that up, you minus the weekends, 300 denarii equals an entire year's income. Now let me ask you a question. When's the last time you gave an offering to the Lord that was in the amount of an entire year's income. And I'm not talking about the year when you made, you know, $500 a year. Okay. I'm talking about when you're working full time and you got a decent job and you get all that. And in one year, you, you accumulate all that. And that's how much you give in an offering to God. How how many of you have even, even come close to that? All right. <coughs> that's what it cost this woman to worship Jesus extravagantly <clears throat> and that's why you can see why Jesus held her in such honor and why he thought what she did was beautiful you see when you when you give your income when you give your finances to the lord in that way i don't care if it doesn't make any practical sense jesus is always so pleased With such acts of worship. And God does not take our financial offerings lightly. Generous giving is a powerful and beautiful aspect of worship extravagantly. (coughs) King David understood this. He said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Hallelujah. Number six, and my final point. How can we be extravagant in worship? (coughs) Number six. Get baptized with the Spirit. If you haven't experienced this, you are missing out on your God-given destiny. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3.11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, he will baptize you with orange juice? No, right? He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Who is John talking about in this passage? He's talking about Jesus. You know, during <coughs> Jesus' time on earth, there is no record of Jesus having baptized a single person in water. That's because Jesus doesn't baptize it with water, he baptizes people with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what he does. In John chapter 7, verse 37. <coughs> Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will overflow rivers of living water. And then verse 39, it says, by this he meant the Holy Spirit. By this he meant the Spirit of God. Jesus, brothers and sisters, he wants wants you to drink the Holy Spirit in. But not only that, he wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit so that you are both inside and out completely submerged and drenched in the Spirit of the living God. That's what Jesus wants to do when he sees you. See, Jesus is not all about like, let's tweak this, let's tweak that. Jesus is like, Yo, let's just get you in, let's see what happens <laughs> Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, (coughs) when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, you will access new levels of worship. A person who is baptized with the Spirit and with fire, such a person refuses to let their environment set the atmosphere for worship. Instead, people that are baptized with the Spirit they set the atmosphere of worship using heaven's model. (coughs) This is what spirit-filled believers do. This is what Paul and Silas did when they were beaten, locked up, and imprisoned. Their environment said no to worship. Their environment said, this is not the place to worship. But Paul and Silas, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, said, I don't care. I don't let my environment... Set the atmosphere for my worship. I'm going to set it. Because the spirit of God is in me. And the kingdom's going to come through me. So right now I don't care if I'm in prison. I'm going to worship the Lord. And they worshiped the Lord. Hallelujah. And such an earthquake came and opened up all the prison doors. That's what happens. When spirit-filled believers. They stop letting the environment control how they worship. And they start to set the worship. Prison doors get fling wide open. People get set free. People experience the healing. Power of God. So next time you go up into a church that feels dry, that feels oppressive. The music sounds great, but nobody's really worshiping. When you you go into any church like that, don't just go with the flow. You set a new flow. Hallelujah. You set a new flow that comes down from heaven. So that everyone in that room after Sunday service, they don't even know that you were there. But they will know that God was there. Hallelujah. You got to be baptized with the spirit if you want to experience this stuff. I want you to tell your neighbor, dare to shift the atmosphere. Oh, I can't do that. That takes so much boldness. That takes so much faith. But I'll tell you right now, when you get baptized with the spirit, you get that boldness and faith. When you get the spirit, you get the boldness. When you get the spirit of God filling you, overtaking you, baptizing you, you're drinking him in. And he's also submerging you on the outside. When you're baptized with the spirit like that, you get the boldness. You already have the faith. You just got to step out and use it. And some people in here, you have not experienced that yet. I want to encourage you, start to hunger and thirst for it. It all begins with a hunger and a thirst. It all begins from that place of faith where you say, God, I know there's so much more than what I've experienced so far. I read about it here in the scripture. Some people said it's not for today, but you know what? I believe that's a lie. I believe it is for today. I believe it's got my name on it. And God, I'm going to press it until I get it. That's how you got to seek the baptism of the Spirit. Because for some of you, you're going to get it easy. But for other of you, you're like me. You're like real thick skin, like a knucklehead. Where God wants to take you a little deeper. He'll, he'll play a little hard to get. To, see, to test you. He'll offend you. He'll test you. To see if you really want it. Do you really want to be filled with my Spirit? Hallelujah. I want to encourage all of you, hunger and thirst for the baptism of the Spirit. So, how can we corporately and individually cultivate an environment of extravagant worship? All right, these are the six points I want you to keep in mind. Now, no matter how many church plants we do, may our churches always be filled with people who are extravagant in worship. Amen? You know, when we set up our church in Pyongyang in the future, Do me a favor. Be extravagant in worship. Because when the North Korean people see it, they're going to be like, this is God. These people know God. I want to be in this place. But for no other reason, worship extravagantly. Because he is worthy. Let's close our eyes. Lord Father, I just thank you so much. I just pray you bring revelation. You bring deep revelation (coughs) regarding this first core value. I pray that, Lord, it will go deep and begin to shape the identity of our church, God. Take us deeper into extravagant worship, Lord. Hallelujah. Right now, in this room, if there's anyone... right now in this room, if you if you feel like the worship that you have experienced thus far has been very cold very apathetic very emotionless and you see other people expressing their worship to the lord and you want that and you don't really know how to get there you you, you listen to my six points and you're willing to implement it but you're not really you don't know really how to get there and you, and you want to be successful in implementing these things and really being extravagant in worship, if you want that and you want to put behind the days of apathetic, cold worship and you want to go on ahead into extravagant worship, if that's you, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. We want to just pray a simple prayer of blessing for you. Stand up to your feet. Hallelujah. Lord, I want to be an extravagant worshiper. Lord, like that woman with the alabaster jar. Lord, I want to give to you worship that pours forth from my heart. Worship that is full of the joy of the Lord. Worship That will touch your heart. Lord, I'm tired of just going through the motions, Lord. I want to worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, turn me into a worshiper, a true worshiper that worships in spirit and in truth. I'm putting, to today I'm putting behind the days of apathetic worship. I'm entering in to my promised land. If that's you, I want you to just stand up. I want you to stand up.